Hi, this is Brian Landau, and you're listening to The Drip, a podcast about how to caffeinate your campaigns. Today, I'm joined by Andrew Hippert. Andrew is the investment principal at the Techstar Sports Accelerator, powered by Indy. In this episode, we talk about go-to-market strategies that work in the sports, health, and wellness sectors, how sports startups can compete with the media behemoths of content, and how Web3 is impacting the future of fan engagement and sports ownership. Hey, Andrew. Brian. Andrew Hipford currently serves as the investment principal for Techstars New York City and the Techstar Sports Accelerator, powered by Indy. In his role, Andrew launched the inaugural Sports Accelerator in 2019 and now leads the overall management of the program. This includes sourcing companies, building out the program calendar, securing speakers, managing relationships with 200 plus mentors and investors, hiring and managing a program staff of 15 associates, and identifying emerging trends in sports technology. He is also responsible for collaborating with the limited partner group that sponsors the Accelerator, which includes the State of Indiana's Next Level Fund, the NCAA, Indiana Pacers, Indianapolis Colts, Indiana Sports Corporation, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and IndyCar. He also helps facilitate the inaugural 1-0 Sports and Entertainment Summit, attracting some of the top VCs in sports and founders in the world. The portfolio that he and his team have put together have collectively raised over $80 million in venture capital and have seen a two to three times average increase in valuation. Prior to Techstars, Andrew spent time in both professional and collegiate sports, first with the Washington Wizards of the NBA, followed by the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C. In his role at Catholic University, which we're going to spend some time talking about, Andrew served as the Assistant Athletic Director for Student Athlete Recruitment and the Director of NCAA Compliance. He oversaw 25 varsity athletic programs and 550 student athletes and led an enrollment stabilization effort that resulted in a 25% and 35% increase in athletic recruiting year over year. Andrew holds an MBA and master's in sports business management from the DeVos School at the University of Central Florida in Orlando, Florida, and an undergraduate degree in government and legal studies with a concentration in conflict resolution, which probably comes in handy when you're negotiating term sheets. (laughs) From Bowdoin College in Brunswick, Maine, he resides in West New York, New Jersey. Andrew, this is quite a bio, man. Congratulations. Thanks for joining me. That is quite a bio. I don't even know if you're talking about me anymore. Uh, after listening to that. Well, the guest that I have on is way more impressive than the guest that I invited to join <laughs> this podcast. So let's dig in a little bit. I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast are familiar with Techstars. It's an incredibly well-regarded accelerator. It's across the United States and also international, if I'm not mistaken, as well. Techstar Sports, we're going to focus in on that for this conversation. Can you tell us a little bit more about what it is and how does the program define sports? Because a lot of your LPs are professional teams in Indianapolis. It's motorsports. It's a lot of different things. How do you define the category at Techstars? First of all, thanks so much for having me, Brian. It's great to be a part of the podcast and I always love talking about you know sports tech and, and what we're doing with, with Techstars. It's, it's always exciting stuff. Yeah, look, you know, we, we basically will we'll touch anything that it relates to sports or entertainment, fitness, you know, it's, it's sort of a, a broadly defined category. You know, back in, in 2019, you know, Techstars had, had never really launched a, a dedicated sports accelerator. You know, Techstars has been around since 2007 and started in Boulder, Colorado. And as you mentioned, you know, now we're pretty much a global organization, you know, we're 35 different cities, over 14 countries, do about 500 companies a year. The goal is to basically 3x that uh, in the near future. So lots more accelerators will be, be spinning up. You know, but prior to 2019, you know, we had some great 
companies that have gone through, you know, Techstars Boston, Techstars New York, LA, Boulder, you know, sort of some of these agnostic uh, city programs, like, like for example, ClassPass is a great example, company that would have been a, a good fit for a Techstars sports program. So I think the basic goal was, hey, let's, let's launch this in LA or New York. You're thinking about sort of big sports markets, sports entertainment markets. But this group in Indiana came together, you know, kind of led by Steve Simon, the owner of the Pacers, and uh, Ryan Vaughn, who's uh, was the former president of the Indiana Sports Corp, the NCAA, which of course is, is governed there, and the state of Indiana as well through their next uh, level fund. It's a great racing town for sports, the Indy 500. Uh, obviously, the Colts are there. If you haven't been there, it's a fantastic sports community that has a, a, a certain degree of collaboration that is sort of would be hard to replicate in a place like New York or LA. So, you know, they came to Techstars and said, hey, how about putting your dedicated sports accelerator here in Indianapolis? You know, we have all the resources, we have sort of the sports DNA. And, you know, fast forward, here we are you know, kind of going into our, our fifth year running the accelerator. It's just been a remarkable environment for us to, you know, to bring these early stage founders and entrepreneurs that are building businesses within sports to a city that absolutely loves and cherishes, you know, sports entertainment. You know, we've done investments in a variety of different subcategories within sports. We've had a lot of success in at-home fitness. You know, we had a company in 2019, Orgata, which has uh, raised 30 million bucks uh, at a 200 million post, about a year and a half outside of, uh, you know, this pre-seed, seed stage, et cetera, which is incredible growth and kudos to that founding team. We've done a, a few more at-home uh, fitness a company called Flexia, which is building a business in connected Pilates. We had Grind, which is sort of the world's first portable shooting machines, sort of connected fitness focused on basketball. We had a company called Launchpad, which is right in Denver, just focused on helping athletes jump higher, you know, pr perform at more peak levels of athleticism, you know, through through using AI. So it, you know, we've done we've done a lot of at home fitness, or if you could call it player development, fitness-related companies. We've had some great ticketing companies go through the program. Project Admission 2019, a company based in Nashville uh, that has uh, closed about $6.5 million round, uh, led by Anthemis, which is a, a great win for us. We've had a company this year's class called Season Chair, which is sort of operating in that fractionalized ticketing space. It's working with over 30 NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, MLS teams. So that's been a great category for us. You know, look, and we've also looked at, you know, uh, categories like digital collectibles, and NFTs, we've got a couple of NFT companies go through the program, one in the US and one in, in London, that's sort of playing around in that, in that metaverse, <laughs> which everyone loves talking about. Uh, we had a, an interesting company. I know we're going to talk a little bit about NIL. We had a, a company that uh, I can reference later on in the conversation, three young folks from the University of Pennsylvania that dropped out to build a business helping tokenize athletes in the college athletic space, which is a really interesting use case. So anyways, I could probably go on for days, but let me, let me, let me stop there. Yeah. Not many rules on this podcast, I admit, but I try and avoid web three conversations if I can, if I can help it. <laughs> so look, you just, you just really, I think in, in a nutshell, describe just how big sports is, right? And you have ticketing and you have NFTs and you have tokenized athletes and you have e-gaming. So like it can be uniquely B2B or direct-to-consumer, or 
B to B to C, right? I think ticketing probably falls into that category really uniquely. Depending on the product and their models, are there some examples of go-to-market strategies that your portfolio companies have implemented that have proven to be really successful depending on sort of where they are within the sports ecosystem? I think a couple interesting sort of go-to-market strategies, you know, um, I had referenced Regatta and really close with Tom and, and Al and Pross and the founding team. And, you know, they came to us in 2019 with this idea, this concept of building a, a, an at-home rower. So sort of think about you know, kind of Peloton was back in, in 2019. So the, the concept of at-home fitness was still in its kind of maturation phase, where now it's a household term that gets thrown around. So obviously prior to, prior to COVID. You know, and, and I think Regatta's strategy was really interesting because they sort of differ from so these other at-home fitness plays, a Peloton or a Tonal, where it's instructor-based. They're, they're focused more on sort of the gamification of at-home fitness and connecting you to your social communities through the at-home experience. So what was interesting and what I think really helped them get to market maybe perhaps quicker than some of their competitors is that they had a unique channel partnership with Water Rower. So, so basically the Orgata team, you know, cause it's really hard. It's hard to scale hardware, right? It's hard, it's hard to build hardware uh, and, and scale that as a venture business. So what they did is, you know, they had this exclusive sort of rev share partnership with Water Rower and they said, Hey, look, do you focus on building the hardware and we'll focus on the software because that's what we know best. And, and we feel like that can, that can scale a little bit more efficiently. So Whereas a lot of companies are trying to, they, you know, they're trying to do both. They're trying to build out the software and the hardware in-house. It, it, it's really challenging. It can be very, very hard to scale. It's very capital intensive. So it allowed them or got it to be a lot more capital efficient as they built the business. And I think really helped them kind of get to market quicker. So that's kind of one example, I think, of a company that's done really well in terms of getting to market in a differentiated way. I think another one is a company called We Played. Love the founders over there, Terry and Paul. Paul Zukowskis had played football at Boston College and then spent some, some time in the NFL as an offensive lineman. You know, Paul had a flood in his house, destroyed all his old, his old game films. And so his sort of the concept where we played is, you know, how do you, there's all this idle footage. So like if, if Boston College plays Clemson on a Saturday, well, what happens on Sunday or Monday with that footage? Like the footage just basically sits in, in an archive. And so Paul's idea was, hey, how do you sort of monetize this idle footage and repurpose it, basically sell it back to the schools and allow them to use it as a tool to help with fundraising or to help engage in alumni or to help, uh, you know, with social media presence, uh, you know, for each, each particular sport. You know, so being able to clip highlights from these games that had already been played that were in the past, but they're sitting there idle collecting dust. And so you know, at thinking about, okay, well, selling the teams and the leagues is a slow sales cycle. It's kind of a slog can be very long. We've been talking to Paul. We said, well, Paul, you know, you're really connected very well with Boston College. Why don't you use BC as really your first use case? You know, and that can kind of be your beachhead strategy. You get, get BC on the platform, you know, use that as sort of example, then, and then try to round up and scoop up maybe perhaps the rest of the ACC and kind of fast forward to where they are, you know, they had just closed a couple million bucks. Accomplice led their seed round. You know they're working with, I think over thirty schools now, thirty or forty schools. Uh, a lot of the Learfield IMG. They just signed a, a partnership with Learfield IMG, which gets them access to all those colleges and universities. And so, but you know, for them, it was finding the right use case. It was finding the right sort of beachhead school 
that they could, you know, that they had built relationships with it. They had some trust. They could do some testing, some piloting. They could make some mistakes. And that's okay uh, because they had the prior existing relationships with Boston College and the athletic department. And so I think that was that really helped them in terms of uh, being able to, to then shore up what the value proposition was and then approach other schools, including Learfield, and really kind of help them put the, the pedal the pedal on the gas. So I guess those are, those are two examples that, but of course there's a, there's, there's a lot, but maybe I'll, maybe I'll focus on those two for now. So creating content in this category is just part of the overall content marketing mix that all businesses I think need to do sometimes begrudgingly, but they need to put their, their brand out there. It can feel daunting in this category, right? Cause in SaaS, sort of a playbook on content creation and key buyers are used to webinars and white papers and there's things like podcasts now that are more and more pervasive and so the buyer knows what they're getting when they you know sign up and register for a company webinar but in sports a startups competition with respect to content is like ESPN and Barstool Sports and CBS yeah. Sports and so on right i mean i mean professional content companies what's your advice in the sports space to companies that are looking to generate some early content marketing, how can they best garner attention when, again, the competitive set is Peloton and the competitive set is Barstool Sports and ESPN? Yeah, I think for some of the companies that we're looking at, whether it's been sports media or sports betting, it's about really kind of building a very good social following, good presence, having a sort of that virality in terms of your initial customer base. We made an investment to a company out of Brazil, founders actually from Boston, Brazilian called East Portudo. And, uh, you know, they said, okay, look, there's not a, another media platform, an aggregator that, that is speaking to the, the Portuguese population. So, you know, ESPN Deportes or just some of these other competitors just aren't, you know, they're not natural. They're, they're not authentic when they, when they want to communicate to what Spanish and Portuguese consumer wants to see. And so, that was really sort of their defensibility, their moat that they built was to really focus on, on what we know well in an underserved community that is crazy about consuming sports in Brazil. And, and so they've, they've done a great job of building a business. Again, you know, get, I think they had over a billion impressions on social in the last couple months and sort of using that as a way to say, hey, now Barstool, if you want to speak to this, the Spanish consumer, go through us. You know, we have a we have a brand that we've built. It's authentic. Uh, there's virality there, and it allows you to act to to spend a lot a lot less from a unit economics from a CAC perspective to acquire customers by partnering with a company like an eSport Tuto uh, that has a really good footprint, a really good presence in in Latin America. A couple of different ways that that companies can you know can sort of try to differentiate, but those are a few that we've seen we've seen be successful. I want to dig in a little bit into your time at Catholic University and the experience that you had in college athletics. That category has experienced dramatic disruption over the last few years with the introduction of name, image, likeness, otherwise known as NIL, which effectively allows college athletes to accept sponsorships. You worked in compliance as well. I imagine there were like nightmare scenarios where an <laughs> athlete took 50 bucks because he did, he went babysitting or something like that, or signed an autograph. And all of a sudden that player is no longer eligible and you got to go through mounds and mounds of paperwork. NIL basically says, Hey, listen, you can sign autographs. You can be in a commercial, you can do a social media post for a brand and you can be compensated because it is your name, your image, and your likeness. Right. 
what are, I'm sorry if I gave you some PTSD just then. <laughs> you did actually. <laughs> what are the areas within college, high school, and maybe even youth sports that excites you the most with this new trend that is popping up around the ability for athletes and schools also to play a role in how their athletes can maybe monetize their likeness? Athletes are becoming brands and have become brands. And so I think like what's what's interesting are company that I was referencing earlier, you know, that's really focused on kind of recreating what the fan engagement experience looked like. It's, you know, if you're a fan of X college or Y team, you know, how do you support them? You buy season tickets or you buy a Jersey or, you know, you, uh, you buy shoes from that particular player. Well, you know, what if you could actually buy a piece of that player's token and so, you know, I know we, we want to stay away from Web3, but you know, it's interesting when how are schools maintaining that, that strong connectivity to their super fans, to their fan bases? And you look at a lot of these, you know, small colleges that the, basically the football team is powering the entire economy for that, for that city. How do you keep those, those fans engaged and involved? And so, you know, I, th- I think the, the, the concept that these guys have about tokenization is it really interesting. And I'm curious to see how that world progresses, you know, because I, I do think the whole idea of fan engagement is sort of becoming redefined and, and it's, it's sort of at the cutting edge of innovation and, and technology. You know, what is fandom anymore? You know, it's not just buying your favorite player's jersey or going to the game. It's, you know, getting access to, you know, sessions where you can upvote on what that person eats for breakfast in the morning or what their training regimen looks like before the big game or, you know, being able to communicate in real time to your favorite players and, you know, wish them luck before the big match or the big game. So being an active fan and playing more of an active role in that particular athlete's journey, I think is really, really interesting. And, and so I think you're seeing that kind of bleed down even into, you know, some of the, the youth and high school levels as these, these young athletes are figuring out kind of where they want to, how they want to pursue their careers. So um, I'm not sure if that answered your question, but I think that is, I think it's such an interesting space and it is to a large degree still fairly unregulated. So I'd be curious to see kind of, you know, where it moves in the next, you know, three to five years. But I do think that a big part is going to be put on, you know, the education process. We're educating athletes, we're educating, you know, these booster groups, we're making sure athletes are protected. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm a huge Syracuse University sports fan. I graduated from the school. And if Jim Beheim called me up and said, Brian, like there's the next Carmelo Anthony, I need $100,000 as yeah. part of our NIL collective. I'd probably say, coach, thanks for the call. But like, that's a lot of money, man. Right, like, I got right. other things. But if there was some sort of way to buy a token, that sort of becomes a more interesting proposition and sort yeah. of almost like a micro donation, a micro investment in this next generation of player. And he goes on to become a superstar at the next level. And right. there's some sort of like that becomes way more interesting and almost a more gamified way of just forking over and wiring a hundred thousand dollars so that we get the next five-star kid. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's interesting. Like if you were able to buy a token in Steph Curry, when he was at Davidson, what would that token be worth now? <laughs> you know, so I think that's sort of how the the folks at, at VO2, by the way, that's the our, our company VO2, 
that's how they're sort of thinking about modeling out this new fan engagement experience. So yeah, no, you're, you're, you're totally right. All right. So I'll indulge you and we can stay on web three for one more moment here and I'll get you out on this question. And so we spoke about sort of the token. By the way, I, I just, I am not a web three expert. <laughs> so no. By the way, yeah. I, I'm not convinced anybody is. So that's, that's cool, but that's, that's a, yeah. a separate podcast, I think. Yeah. So we're talking about the tokenization of sort of players. I think for many sports fans, myself included, owning a professional sports team is a dream that has virtually no chance of ever being attained, right? Like $5 billion to own the Knicks, right? Like it's just a lot of money. But you shared an example with me when we connected offline about a company that is enabling fractional ownership of racehorses, for example. Yeah. Uh, and we're now talking about the tokenization of, of players. What type of products do you see that enable fractional ownership and how can this become maybe more mainstream in the future? Because I do think at the end of the day, the owner of the franchise, for example, needs to be willing to part with a percentage of that. And there is already an economy for owning minority positions in sports teams for high net worth individuals. How do you see this playing out looking in your uh, crystal ball a little bit? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's interesting. I think, you know, fractionalized ownership is, uh, you know, is, is definitely one of the the emerging trends that we're seeing, whether you're looking at you know, expensive bottles of wine like Vito Vest or Picasso, you know, expensive pieces of art. You know, t- typically they were expensive homes, right? Vacation homes. So you, you, you're thinking about sort of assets that are t- typically not available to, you know, your sort of common average, you know, Joe that now become attainable through this concept of fractionalized ownership. So for example, yeah, it'd be really cool to own a piece of a company, but I don't know how to do that. I can't raise a fund. I don't have the network. Well, you know, AngelList allows you to, you know, get a, a small piece of high growth companies kind of in that in that startup tech space, right? Same thing with kind of Picasso or, or, or Masterworks or some of these other, you know, these other companies that are providing sort of uh, that opportunity. I, I think with Johnny and with the Thoroughbred, uh, racing syndicate that is now rebranded to Stride Racing, based in Ireland. Ninety percent of the horse racing industry is owned by sort of the sheiks in, in Saudi Arabia. It's just a, a lot of oil money and just very, very, very affluent folks. Sort of think about it as like the the upper half of the one percent. It's really expensive. You know, where do you go to buy the horse? You know, uh, how what do you you know how do you find a horse? Uh, how much does a horse cost? I have no idea. Uh, and so, your know, Johnny's goal is like, let's let's sort of democratize the ability to own a piece of a, a horse race, and it allows you also, as an investment, you know, to mark that up. If if you if you buy a piece of a horse, or if you buy a piece of a, you know, an Airbnb of a property, and then that property appreciates, or that horse appreciates, you know, your percentage, your share in that in that asset appreciates, and so it kind of creates almost a secondary marketplace as well, you know, where you can sort of you know, kind of monetize the upside of your assets. So I think it's, you know, what Johnny's doing at Stride is 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 really interesting. And we're seeing it, you know, even with some of the companies that that we're looking at now, you know, through the the New York accelerator that we're looking at. And um, like we're, you know, we're big believers and big proponents in real estate. And so, you know, seeing how, you know, if you're an investor and you want to own a piece of uh, a short-term rental property, how do you go about doing that? You know, there's opportunities to build businesses you know, in spaces like that, uh, focused on fractionalized ownerships. Season tickets is, is another example. You know, we had a company in our previous sports cohort, uh, Season Share, that's, you know, focused on kind of fractionalizing the ticketing industry. You know, buying season tickets is typically a very static 
process. You know, you're in the same seat for the same game, paying the same price for all 42, 43 home games. And so, you know, how do you kind of create more dynamism in that opportunity through fractional ownership? And so, you know, instead you can pay a subscription and get access to different different perks and different benefits and different viewpoints for the games. So, you know, I do think there is a lot of power in, in this new fractionalized model, you know, especially for even for, for example, for, you know, for the entertainers or the, the artists or the athletes that, you know, because it's built on blockchain, you know, there's opportunity for them to monetize each piece of a secondary transactions that happen as well. So it's beneficial business model um, to the athlete or to the creator as well. So um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how this, this space evolves. I know we're, we're trying to get on the early side of some of these companies and some areas that we feel like, you know, are ripe for disruption in, in that fractionalized model, you know, can, uh, you know, can be, can be a sort of a powerful tool to disrupt it. I'm joined today by Andrew Hipper. He currently serves as the investment principal for Techstars New York and Techstars Sports Accelerator, powered by Indy. A conversation that matched the strength of his bio. Andrew, <laughs> thanks for being with me today. Appreciate it. It's my pleasure, Brian. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.